You're listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. Now, here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys for Monday the 3rd of April 2017. This is actually the first anniversary of the podcast. Self-Publishing Journeys kicked off on Monday the 4th of April 2016. So happy first birthday to us. My guest today is Ian Rob Wright, who worked for many years as a mobile telephone salesman. After publishing his debut novel, The Final Winter, in 2011 to great success, he quit his job and became a full-time writer. His work is currently being adapted for graphic novels, audiobooks and foreign audiences. He's an active member of the Horror Writer Association and runs his own online training website, the A to Z of self-publishing. When I spoke to Ian for the podcast, I began by asking him what prompted him to write that first novel back in 2011. As far as the writing the novel goes, that was just a, a passion that I had from childhood. I'd, I'd always been tinkering with writing and trying to do stories. Um, and like most writers, especially back before self-publishing, I always had this dream of one day, you know, finishing a novel and sending it off and getting it published. Um, but I'd never managed to finish anything. I'd always, you know, given up halfway through thinking, you know, this idea is no good. Um, but I had one story almost finished called the final winter and i was quite happy with it and but i was really really miserable uh working for uh, it was three at the time but i've been working for phones for year in orange before that and i was just sick of um selling phones it was it started off as a very good industry when it was quite new nobody had mobile phones so it was easy to sell them but then it got quite vicious when everybody had a mobile phone everybody was locked in for two years so it was getting increasingly sort of shark infested waters and that you know i was being ordered to sell this insurance which i knew was shoddy and things like that i was just pretty miserable doing what i was doing and money was sort of getting worse commissions were lowering and just wasn't happy but i had this novel almost finished um and in one day i'd had enough of the way i was being treated uh selling phones at three so i just walked out the shop and I, and I didn't come back and I text the manager and said look I'm done I'm not coming back my wife comes well she was my girlfriend then but she's my wife now she comes home obviously she's not very happy with me and in almost a panic I said no no I've, I've got this novel almost finished I'm gonna I'm gonna get it published and I'm sure in the back of her head she was going how many losers have said that type of thing before you know um, but I started researching it and I was intending to get an agent and send it off but because I was sort of in a desperate mode I went for the path of least resistance, which seemed to be, from what I was reading on Google, this KDP, this, you know, self-publish it, start earning straight away. And I suppose out of desperation, I just went for the easiest option, not knowing that I was getting in right at the beginning of this sort of massive wave. And I think timing did play a lot for me because within six months, which incidentally is, is what my girlfriend gave me to, to get another job or make something happen with this book, within six months, I was matching from this one book on KDP uh, what I'd been earning as a, as a phone salesman. So I published this book 
in desperation and it's been six years now since I had to work for anybody else but myself and I've got sort of 17 books out now I think. Yeah it's a pretty amazing uh, series of titles and we know this story has a happy ending because as you said your girlfriend's now your wife so we yeah. we, we know it worked out um, yeah. so, so we know the ending before we begin but in 2011 you see I mean that that's self-publishing was very different then you couldn't do that now could you? No um it's it's absolutely different now. I think when I published the final winter, there was about four hundred thousand ebooks available on KDP. And I don't think they'd done the seventy percent royalty for very long. It was relatively new. So I published my book um, at a price, you know, of two ninety nine or or whatever it was at the time, which was undercutting all of the the main ebooks on there at the moment, which was the traditional published ebooks, which were all still nine ninety nine. So I went in with hardly any competition. You know, 400,000 ebooks. if you boil that down to the horror genre, I'm sure I was only competing with 20,000, 30,000 books. Um, and a lot of those would have been priced higher. So I kind of sold to a market that had nothing, no competition. So that's why that one book instantly rocketed up, rocketed up the charts, was making me a living. And uh, the couple of books that followed also did, you know, brilliantly making sort of thousands of pounds a month all on their own. But if I release a new book now, and I don't shout about it, I'll be lucky to make sort of three, four hundred pounds in the first month. The way I make the money now with a new release is completely through my mailing list. I have to generate those sales myself. Whereas in the early days, visibility was so easy to get on Amazon because of the lack of competition. You could just publish a book with a decent cover and it would make money. And I think for a long time, it was attractive to scammers for that reason because it was so easy. It was a bit of a gold rush. And I was lucky that I got into it sort of a year or so before it became this gold rush that everybody was into and it became a lot harder then. Did you have to do any advertising whatsoever in those days? No. Or could you quite literally just post a book on there that, as you said, looked half decent and you were off? I, um, I, I, I put the final winter on there with a cover I'd made myself. It, it was okay. It wasn't an awful cover, but it certainly wasn't professional. Um, I had no mailing list. I had no presence or brand. I had nothing. All I had was a Facebook account. Uh, and me at a keyboard so I pestered a few people I got some early reviews and things I did the things now that I wouldn't advise you do which is you know going on Facebook saying buy my book buy my book that's an absolutely awful strategy that doesn't work but that's all I had back then but that's that's all I needed because it I think maybe because it was a novelty I don't know I mean timing played a massive part and I'm very lucky that sort of I established myself when it was easier um, but I did do very, very little. And it's only in the last couple of years that I've really decided that marketing is the, is the key to sort of staying in this game. Okay, so um, you didn't have to do any marketing then. Marketing, you now say, is incredibly important. We're going to talk about your 2016 income and outgoing shortly. And that I think that list of expenses shows how important you think that marketing uh, really is. With that yeah. first book, though, um, when you when you released it, had it gone through things like you know an edit a proofread or had you literally just put it out there straight away i'd um done several edits myself um but it hadn't been through a second set of eyes again because i was so desperate to get it out there it was kind of a, a product that evolved i put it out there probably in a really rough form with its own cover and then when i started to make a few connections i think i got someone to proofread it for free which would have you know improved it slightly and then i um I saved up some money and paid for a proper cover and slowly the title got better. 
and, and like if you were to read it today it's been completely edited and proofread and and has a professional cover and that's one of the things that i do really love about ebooks and self-publishing is that you can improve your products if you need to so my back catalog you know i brought it up to speed with where i am now and i'm not stuck with this this say if i was a traditional published author and i had a really bad book that I wasn't proud of there's nothing i could do it would be part of my legacy forever um whereas with ebooks you know if you if you find a, a typo and someone tells you you can go and fix it so the book today final winter is probably a completely different uh, book than it was when i released it I think there's a really important lesson in there for people who haven't self-published yet, and that is that you need to get the thing as good as you can, then get it out there. And as you say, you can go back and improve it if you need to. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a bit of a catch-22. You know, I'm in a, a position now where for every new book I can pay an editor and get some really decent artwork sorted before I release the book. But that's because I've got money coming in from what I've already established. I know there's a lot of guys who would like to get into it now, and the thought of paying a thousand pounds to an editor is either impossible or just enough to, you know, make them have a lump in their throat. So it is difficult. So I don't really know what I can suggest other than it is absolutely vital for success to have edited books with decent covers. And if you're serious about being you know, being a self-published author, then you need to kind of take that on the chin and just uh, convince yourself that you'll get it back down, you know, in the long run. But you do need to spend money to compete with what's out there now. You can't get away with, you know, what I did back then in 2011 by just sticking out, you know, the cheapest chips, no investment product that I did and get away with it. I was, you know, very lucky back then. So how many books then did you get out in the in the early days? What was your... Um... Uh, sort of writing strategy after you had that first success well because i've walked out on my job and because this first book was making the same amount that i've been earning i was able to then become a full-time author so my productivity became sort of around three novels per year and then maybe a few short stories so between three and four books a year was what i released and again that's i didn't realize it at the time but that was establishing me at a time where things were relatively easy going. If I hadn't have got that many books out so early, then I might not have established myself sufficiently to sort of be in the position I'm in now. So, you know, again, I was lucky to to have this kind of period of calm where I was just releasing books and they were all doing fantastically well. And then what was that writing process like for you? Did you, because you'd taken a long time to write that first book, that was, as it often is with the first book, it was the product of, of sort of many years thinking and, and labour. And then how easily did those next books come? Did you start to get the hang of it then? Yeah, absolutely. The, the Final Winter was a, a hobby book that I wrote in the evening, so it probably took me a year to write it. What I found um, sort of in the last, you know, five years is that, like anything, writing's a skill and you do improve at it. My first few books, I'd write five days a week, about two and a half thousand words as a max, whereas now my max tends to be about 5,000 words. And that's just because of things I've learned. Like if you're doing the first draft, you just write the first draft. Don't go back. Don't self-edit. Don't check line by line what you're doing. Just get the story out because that's the hardest part, getting from page one to the last page of a, of a story. Once you've got your first draft done, you have a story. It might be rough. It might not be very good, but the story part is done. And then then you can go into an editing mode. Um, and it's more efficient to do it in two parts where you're in a completely creative mode where you don't hamper yourself at all by editing or thinking too hard. 
you just let the, the flow go. And then that's how I get my 5,000 words by just completely being, you know, at ease with whatever I'm writing and not double guessing myself. And then once that's done and I've got the first draft ready, that's when I can, you know, put my editor's hat on and then I can completely go into that mode and, and stay sort of as a, as, as a logical thinker for however many weeks it takes to, to edit the book. But early on, I didn't have the confidence I have now that I know how to write. So I was constantly going back over things, constantly rewriting things before I'd even got halfway through the book. And that's, I think a lot of new authors are probably have that same self-doubt that makes things take a lot longer because you're not letting the creative process, you know, flow as it should. And do you have a writing formula? So for instance, do you write to a certain number of words? Um, You know, do you make sure that a book is written over a certain period or do you just, do you write as it comes? I just write as it comes. I don't. I don't work on more projects. Uh, I don't work on more than one project at once. So I know some authors like uh, Brian Keane, who's one of my favourite authors, um, can have several books on the go at once. But I'm always a one project person. Once I start working on a book, then five days a week I just sit in the office every day and I write as many words as I can that day until it's done. I've usually plotted out the chapters so I know how far I am through the book and how long it's likely to be. But I don't have any rules as to how long something's going to be. If it's 100,000 words, great. If it's 50,000 words, that's fine. The only difference it makes is I know that the longer books will make more um, by way of KDP borrows. So I know that if I put time into a longer book, it'll probably make me more money through that scheme. Um, But then you've got the other side in that a, a shorter book you can get them out quicker so it's it's a mixture i just i just let it be as long as it needs to be really and that's again another great thing about self-publishing is there's no you know uh, conventions you need to stick to you don't you're not with a publisher who publishes books between sixty thousand and ninety thousand words you do whatever you want do you go wide with your books you, you said that uh, reads are quite an important part of your business then are they all on uh, exclusively amazon or do you go to the other channels there's a couple on other channels which I made free so that Amazon would price match them. So I wanted some free books to act as funnels um, and sort of grab the, the bargain hunters and, and move them onto my paid work. So there's a couple of my books that are on other channels, but they're free of charge. I haven't got any books on other channels that are chargeable. Um, it's something I go back and forth with. I'd, I'd love to be with the other channels rather than just Amazon, but I just don't make that much money with them compared to Amazon um kdp select so financially you know i go where the money is and that may sound a bit mercenary but i've got two kids and a wife so amazon's scheme is more lucrative so that's that's what i go for um and also amazon tends to show a little bit of personal interest in me and i don't know if that's down to the fact that i'm one of their guys um like audible uh, contacted me recently one-on-one to ask me to create some uh, products for them directly an audible uh, radio drama and i'm thinking if i wasn't a kdp select or um, author would that have happened i don't know if they tend to um, take more notice of those working di- sort of uh, uniquely for them so amazon changed my life so i do have a certain amount of loyalty to them so yeah i am all in at the moment until something dictates otherwise but financially it certainly seems a better fit for me We'll dig into your earnings uh, in detail in a moment or two, but I, I did notice just scanning your earnings that your uh, paperback sales through CreateSpace uh, are almost, like most authors, I think, indie authors, barely worth bothering with. No, um, they're there more for branding for me. 
um, if I want to, if I wanted to do a convention and sell signed copies, I've got that option. Um, if I was invited by sort of a bigger name author who wanted me to come as a guest and sell books, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to say, oh, sorry, I don't do paperbacks. But also on the Amazon um, product page, I feel that if there's a variety of formats, so buy this book in Kindle, paperback, audiobook, then it just makes you seem like a bigger deal. And I think one of the the main things as an indie author that I've always tried to do is make sure there's absolutely no distinction between myself and somebody published with, you know, penguin random house um so if you look at a james patterson product page on amazon i want it to be indistinguishable for my own and if there's an omission of a paperback it's gonna you know possibly make me look more amateurist to you know the the, the readers who know no big authors from smaller authors not that many do um, but i don't like there to be any sort of gap in in my product catalog when i look at your amazon author page i, I know you describe yourself as as a sort of horror, predominantly a horror author. But looking yeah. at the looking at the titles there, we seem to have a little bit of a mix. You know, I see space in there. I see things that look to me like conventional thrillers. Where, where would you place yourself? Um, I think one of the things I've learned over the last couple of years is that my audience is horror, and and those readers who love me are horror. And I almost feel like I'm not serving them when I, I publish like my soft target. Uh, thriller books with uh, Sarah Stone because they don't sell anywhere near as well as my horror books do. So I almost feel like I'm trying to sell something to my fans that I don't want. So I'm probably going to be more um, focused on horror going forwards because what my audience is telling me is that's the product they want from me. The the, the sales on, on the three thriller books that I've written with the, the character Sarah Stone they do sell, they do make money, but compared to my horror series like The Gates, they, they're just dwarfed the sales for those. So if I do release a book that's outside of horror, it's more likely to be something I do for my my own um, pleasure rather than a sort of a, a, a business strategy. My, my business strategy is completely telling me to focus on horror, so that's probably what I'll do predominantly from now on. Um, and that's that's because that's the audience I've, I've fostered. I think if I wanted to be a, a popular thriller author, I'd probably have to start again a little bit and start fostering a thriller audience. Yeah, I was going to say it's interesting that you haven't gone for a different author name for the thrillers. That that's why I'm, I'm sort of probing that really. That you most people will go for a different author name and launch a new brand effectively, but you've you've pitched them all together. Yeah, and it's something I go back and forth with, and I think I don't know if it's perhaps a remnant of the the traditional publishing in that if you release a different line of books or write for a different um, publisher, they want you to have a different name that's all there so that they're not sharing you with an, an, another publisher or anything like that. But to me, it seems counterintuitive that if I've got that name recognition, my, my readers are smart enough to know whether the book on the left is horror and the book on the right is thriller. Some of my fans are crossovers. They like both. They read my horror and my thrillers. So I'm not going to dilute my existing audience by completely starting again as a as a pseudonym. So I know some authors do do it, and I did think about having a pen name myself. But the way I decided it was, I'll let my fans know what the book's about, and then it's up to them. And there's no need to sort of to dilute their, my, um, my my readership, really. So I write what I want to write, but I, I don't try and hoodwink my my fans into buying something that they're not going to enjoy. I just, I'm honest about what the book's about, and then it's up to them. 
my favourite covers of yours, and I must ask you where you got these done from. I think they look like they're the same artist. I, I love the covers for Ed Play, Legion and The Gates. Uh, they're, they're really bang on my kind of style. Can I just ask, uh, were they the same artists? Where, where'd you get them done? No, I've changed artists recently. My previous um, artist, um, Stephen Bryant at SRB Productions, is I think he's gone into law enforcement now, but um, he's not doing artwork now. But I did, I did want my books to emulate the the sort of the big New York publishers, the type of thing you'd see in the airports um, or the supermarkets. So I did want to change my artwork anyway, and that started to happen now with my, my newer books, uh, and that's by a guy called Stuart Batch who I actually found by way of um, Mark Dawson and his Facebook Marketing for Authors course. Yes, I'm aware, I'm aware um, of Stuart, yes, yeah. Yeah, so it's it's his work, and I think he's, I mean, he's done covers for Stephen King and things, so he really knows um, about the, the sort of the conventions that the reader picks up on, and, and the books with his covers have been doing really well because it's, it's really clear about what genre each book fits into. And I'll probably over sort of the next year i'm going to get him to redo all of my covers so that they're all in that same sort of style um but artwork definitely makes a difference and my, my newer books are doing fantastically well and everybody loves the covers and he's a, he's a great great sort of cover designer so i'm glad that i found him and what sort of ballpark pricing are you paying for those because you must be paying more for somebody who makes or has made covers for Steve. it's actually very slightly cheaper than my previous artist probably because my previous artist steven um drew the covers he painted them um using sort of graphics programs and they were completely from scratch he was a comic book artist previously so it was a lot more work involved for himself where the Stuart batch you know will use images and stock photos and and put something together in the style of a graphic designer so there's actually less work involved but the pricing's about on par. They charge similar amounts. Stuart's been slightly cheaper. I wouldn't want to say how much he charges me because that might be discretionary that he doesn't want to advertise um, to everybody. But I think as a rule of thumb, you should be expecting to pay sort of up to £400 for artwork. And then when you sort of have more regular work and you can start to get some discounts because uh, the artists are going to know they get regular work from you. Absolutely. I've got to congratulate you, by the way, on having a book called You Is for Urinary Tract. I think that <laughs> that, that deserves some kind of award that, that does. It's a bit of a punt releasing a, a, a book with that title, isn't it? I know, yeah. Well, it's, a, it's a, just a short story. But um, yeah, I, I found these short stories really hard. I committed to the A to Z of horror, so 26 short stories. And I don't generally enjoy writing short stories. I find them quite difficult. Um, as I like to expand more with character and I, uh, I find it hard to be succinct so by the time I got to about M I was tearing my hair out with those short stories but I, I soldiered on and got all the way to Z but yeah there's some really sort of tongue-in-cheek funny ones and there's some serious ones some of them are great some of them you know didn't go down as well but overall I'm really happy to have those 26 short stories out there. Yeah I bet they work as quite a good uh, funnel don't they to bring people into your work your, your longer work. Yeah, so that's I stuck them on there separately so that someone can grab it for 99 pence, just a, you know, a, a short read. There's one or two of them that are free. Um, but the short story collection actually does really, really well. I don't know if that's because it's a massive book, so it gets a lot of page reads. But I always, I'd always um, read from other authors and things, and uh, sort of the industry understanding was that short story collections don't do as well as actual novels, but it's actually probably my third best-selling book. Uh, the short story collection so i'm probably when i've got the energy i'm going to do a, a second one 
How has the writing process changed for you since 2011? I'm guessing you were using something like Microsoft Word in 2011. Are you a Scrivener yeah, writer to use tools? Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. And again, that's a luxury of sort of once you start making money from your books, you feel less like you're spending your personal cash on products and software. Sort of when you're funding your own career by sort of working a day job, you feel like you're spending your household money on your hobby. But now it's very much like a business. So I know that I can spend, you know, a couple hundred pounds on software if I need to, because it's a business expense. and My business is thriving. So I have all sorts of software programs now. I have written my last few books using Scrivener, um, which is absolutely great. It's so much superior to Word. Um, Word's a great program, but it's so tailored for the mass market to be a multi uh, faceted tool that it just doesn't do any one thing great whereas Scrivener is is for writers and I've just written the uh, the order, audible play that they've asked me for I've just written on Scrivener it's even got a script writing function which was fantastic so if you it doesn't cost a lot of money so for authors just starting out or established you should get yourself a copy of Scrivener but I have just found a program called Write It Now 5, which I've started using as well. And that's just like Scrivener, but it has a massive amount of plotting tools built into it as well, which is great for those who like to plot before they start writing. It's it's superior to Scrivener in that regard. I noticed um, everybody's talking about Vellum at the moment, and I've just discovered it and absolutely love it. It's making formatting so easily, mm. so easy. Do you, um, do you outsource that or do you do that yourself? I do Vellum, yeah. I've got Vellum. Um, absolutely brilliant. I could always format pretty good ebooks anyway using Word. If you you know the sort of the, the tweaks and the, the standards you need to conform to, you can use Word to good effect. But the one thing that you can't really do is the drop caps and the add images easily and and things like that. And with Vellum, it's so it just takes all of the stress out of it. It's so easy. Um, if I want to add you know images to the the chapter headings, it's it's not a headache like it used to be. It's I've not worry about errant code or anything like that. Um, and then you click, you know, create ebooks, and it creates every single format for you. It's just, it's absolutely wonderful. And I wish, you know, it had been around the last five years because one of the biggest headaches of sort of self-publishing is is preparing and formatting ebook files and paperback files. And I really hope that Vellum move into perhaps doing a uh, a, a paperback um, part of the system as well, so that they can generate a paperback file for you. I'm using InDesign at the moment, but if Vellum could automate it as, as they have with ebooks. That would save me so much time. I'm interested that you said you're using InDesign, which is which yeah. has a learning curve, and and because you are actually, you know, you're a good cash flowing business, as we'll talk about in a moment or two. Uh, I, I'm I'm surprised you don't outsource that bit. I know. I think that's more down to me personally, in that I like to know how things are done. I don't like to be beholden to anybody. So I built built and designed on my websites as well myself. I, I suppose I'm a bit of a control freak and that i could outsource these things but i like having the control over them i like if i wanted to make a change on my website i like being able to do it myself right now this instant rather than send off an email and have it done two days later um and i just i find sort of working with other people other than sort of artists it's a bit frustrating sometimes and that they rarely understand exactly what you want first time uh, and that used to go for sort of cover artwork as well Whereas with Stuart Batch, I kind of I understand he understands 
uh, the design aspect better than I do. So I, I'm happy to just take whatever he gives me because it's the proof is that you know all of the books with his covers have been doing great. But for everything else, I kind of just like having that that control, and I like to know how it all works and. I might, I might sort of start outsourcing it, but not before I know 100% how it works, because then I know what I'm paying for and you know what's been done. But that, that's a personality thing, I think. Um, I just, I'm a hands-on type of person. No, you're a man after my own heart. I do exactly the same. I learn it myself first, and then no one can pull the wool over my eyes. Well, you know, yeah. in pricing terms and things like that. So yeah. and you know how much, uh, how long a job should take and, and what the problems are. So no, yeah. I, I agree with that. I think it's, uh, it never hurts to learn the job, does it? Yeah. Plus, I think I only like paying for things I categorically can't do myself. I can't do great artwork. I don't have that skill set. I can't, you know, I can barely draw a stick, man. Um, so I have to pay for that. And I'm paying somebody who impresses me because when I see the artwork come back, I'm flabbergasted that a human being's been able to do that because I couldn't. Whereas with the things like the website and the format in the paperback stuff, I can do that. So I kind of feel like, well, why would I pay for something I can do myself? So. It's, it's whether I can do it or whether I can't. If it's something I absolutely can't do, then, yeah, I'll pay for it and I'll be happy to pay for it. I think your um, self-publishing earnings report that you, you published a little earlier on this year, um, I think it really tells a, re- a very interesting story about a modern self-publisher in that we can see your income and outgoings there and it, it kind of tells you where you need to be putting all your effort as a self-published author. Can we just run through some of these um, uh, earnings now? Because uh, I, I think they're very, very educational. I mean, the, the first thing that really leaps out at me there um, is that you're earning most of your money from eBooks, and I, I think that's typical, isn't it, for most self-publishers? It is, and it's it's um, it's a difficulty for me because obviously I can see that. So I know fundamentally the best use of my time is writing new books and publishing them. That's absolutely where the wealth is. But the more I do that, and the more I publish ebooks to Amazon and base my business 100% on Amazon's system, I'm kind of putting myself in a, pre- a precarious position that I don't want to be in. And I've got absolutely no problems with Amazon. I, I don't have this fear that some authors have that it's all going to go pear-shaped and everything's going to go bad and Amazon are going to go, ha, 10% royalty is what you're going to do. There's no other competition left. It's us or nobody. I don't think Amazon are going to do that, but... They've done things in the past, made decisions. When they first launched Kindle Unlimited, it really hurt me financially because it, it, it was just not a good system. And that made me realise, well, Amazon really do have the power to wipe, wipe me off the map. So I'm trying to put resources into other things like my online um, self-publishing course and affiliate sales and, and various other things because the more I make from non-ebook-related sources the more stable i am as a business so it's trying to get the balance right in that i know to make the money and to live a good life i need to keep writing books and publishing them but the more money i make through that means is the more precarious i'm 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 making myself so i'm kind of balancing at the moment by trying to grow sort of side avenues of uh, income but that is an astonishing amount from something that doesn't actually physically exist. £53,724.60, you know, from something that's in the cloud, effectively. I know, yeah. Well, um, I don't know if you saw recently, but I did um, another video on my bug about my income and, uh, my income and I've earned from just ebooks alone on Amazon in the last sort of five years, £200,000. 
Um, and that really made me pinch myself. And over the last, you know, five and a half years, okay, that's not a fortune. That's not putting me in, in a mansion or anything. But that's £200,000 that people have paid to download something that I've written and uploaded from my computer. And that kind of really put things in perspective for me, that that amount of economy has been funneled to me as a human being from other people, strangers all over the world. And it, again, I, I often pinch myself that I get to do this, but seeing that figure up on screen, £200,000, 100% from ebook sales, it was kind of crazy to see that. I, I got to offer my congratulations on that because you've achieved what most self-published authors want. What you are doing is earning a very good professional salary uh, that is coming in from your own efforts. And in fact, you know, most people don't need to be J.K. Rowling. They just need no. what you've got. Yeah, absolutely. And it really infuriates me if you if you say, you know, oh, I'm an author. People go, oh, are you going to be the next J.K. Rowling or, or are you going to be the next Stephen King? It's like... Why do we measure success that it's either nothing or you're that sort of mega star? It's like Stephen King has, what, £6 million a year? You don't have to do that to be successful. I work about 30 hours a week doing something I absolutely always dreamed of doing. I have the freedom to take a day off with my family whenever I want to. I can take whatever holiday I want. I earn about three times the amount of money I used to as a salesman doing a job I hated. For me, that's success. And if that's the best I ever do, then I'll consider myself extremely fortunate. Obviously, I'd like to be the next Stephen King. And, and that's sort of ultimately my goal. Is That's the top I could ever achieve is to be that. But if this is as far as I ever go, you know, fantastic. And even if it all the, the carpet comes out from under my feet and I have to go back to selling phones, I'll still always cherish the last six years that I've got to have this freedom to be at home with my family and do a job I love and, you know, earn enough money to have a pretty nice house and a pretty nice car. You know, it's it's I'm very fortunate. And yet you are spreading your wings. So it's very interesting. This is why I say I think that you're your earnings, uh, you know, shows what a modern self-publisher should be doing. You're you're protecting your your blind side, if you want, i.e. what Amazon might do in the future, by working on your A to Z of self-publishing. And that has brought in, in your income report, £2,095 uh, over the past year, well, you know, which, which is a good amount for a, uh, for a basically a, a site, I guess, that you do the work once and then people can come in and, and, and access it many times. Are you, are you happy with that as a figure? Is that a growing income source um i i would have liked it to have been a bit more for the initial launch but i think what i've realized sort of and it's been less than a year i think i launched it in late july august um but what i have learned is that some guys like mark dawson it's their course has almost become what they do and i don't want that um i still want to be first and foremost an author so i'm happy to not put my heart and soul into it and push it and push it and push it and you know, be all about this online course. I'm happy for it to just earn some decent money on the side by sort of tending to it as a as a sort of a separate business after my ebooks rather than it being the main focus of my business. So it it is still making money. I'm still getting students and I'm sure this year I'll I'll probably double that figure at least. Um so yeah it's making me money and I'd like to grow that to be um, successful enough so that if I didn't have ebooks whatsoever, I could still earn enough that I wouldn't have to go back to selling phones. But an- another reason I did it was I was helping authors anyway. I was constantly giving advice to other authors. I was always, you know, sharing whatever it is I knew. So what I've done really is monetize an aspect of my career that was happening anyway. So it was a bit of a no-brainer. And the things that I've shared on the course, I was I would have shared on my blog for free. So 
Um, I'm, you know, I'm not charging a massive amount. I've, I've just added a 24-month option where you can pay $15 a month. You know, so I've made it as cheap as possible because a massive part of the course is actually wanting to help other authors. So although I, I want to make money, I'm not, you know, trying to charge people a huge amount. I just I, I want a token amount so that it, it, it supports itself and, you know, it, it justifies it, its existence, I suppose. I found it interesting what a good source of affiliate sales, pro writing aid is, uh, £557 of income you've got from that. How, how are you promoting that, just across your website? Um, it comes about half and half. It's um, There's a part of my website that originally was chargeable, but I've now made the first part of the course free to anybody and the second part you have to pay for. But the pro writing uh, aid module is on the free part, so that's a bit of a fun now in that everybody's been exposed to it so a lot of people are buying it from the link in the course but i've also got a youtube video of me using the the, the product as well and i probably get about half my sales from that and that's just recently made me realize how lucrative youtube can be if you you put sort of product tutorials on along with a, a, an affiliate link so that's something i'm going to be looking at this year because i'd say i've made 500 pounds probably from people clicking on the youtube link um, I've just had another check off pro writing aid for $140. So they're paying me over £100 a month at the moment. And again, it's passive. I'm not doing anything. I've just got a video on YouTube and a link in my course, and it's £100 a month. And this is very instructional, I think, for any self published authors who are listening to this. You know, that it, uh, number one, you're looking for passive income streams, and affiliate marketing is, is a great way of yeah. doing that. But also, that being a writer these days, certainly a self published writer, it's not just about the writing. You've got to have other strings to your bow. Fee stability, yeah. I mean, you can make a living just from ebooks, but you don't know what's going to happen. So the, the more income sources you have, the more stable you are. And um, and again, with Pro Writing Aid, I was promoting it anyway because I loved the, the product. I was telling all my friends about it. And then I suddenly thought, hang on, I should be getting paid for this. Um, I'm giving them all this business. And they're a really nice firm. I really enjoy working with them. And they, they've bent over backwards for me to give me this discount that I give out to people. And um, But it's, it's money for nothing. And the same with Amazon affiliates. I was linking to my books constantly anyway, but then I started using affiliate links instead, and I get free money for doing what I was doing anyway because people are clicking on a link to my book, but it's also got this cookie attached which tells Amazon I've sent them there. So if they go and buy a TV as well as my book, I get you know an extra 5 $6 for nothing. So it's all about just thinking, how can I monetize what I'm already doing? Yeah, I've just started using um, the Amazon WordPress plugin, which makes that really easy because it was a bit of a pain, frankly, wasn't it, to get affiliate links beforehand. But the, the WordPress plugin is very neat, actually. I, I like it a lot. Yeah, well, I use one called um, Easy Eyes On, which allows you to just do a search within the, the WordPress post itself, and then it will automatically put all the links in. But, yeah, it's definitely a lot easier if you've got some sort of plugin. But, yeah, Amazon have just released their own, haven't they, I think? Yeah, they have. Yeah, it's good. It works nicely. It's, it's you know, it looks nice in the page. So I'll have a look at yours, and you have a look at mine, and we'll, we'll see which is the yeah. see which is the best one. But I've not heard of EasyAs on, so I'll I'll track that one out. So, um, you know, you're always in the market for something that's better than what I've got. Um, you, you know how it is. So I will have yeah. a look at that. Um, I, something I don't know about that's in your earnings is Printful. What's Printful? I've never heard of that. Again, this was another test I did um, late last year, uh, and I, I didn't sort of put a full focus on it i just wanted to test the waters and see if it was possible but i designed a few t-shirts based on my books and then promoted them to my mailing list to see if anyone brought them and, and some people did so printful is pretty much like print on demand but for merchandise so 
you do the designs and the t-shirt you promote the link someone buys the t-shirt they print it make it send it off give you a small commission so um i wanted to test the waters with whether my fans would be interested in merchandise and and sort of the answer seemed to be yeah not massively so but there's definitely a portion of my readers who are happy to pay me again even more revenue for you know products like mugs and t-shirts and i've actually joined um a beta that amazon are running called amazon merch so i'm going to move from printful to amazon directly as their um, costs seem to be better their printing costs are lower so the the royalty should be better with amazon so i'm going to redeploy in that area and, and do sort of phase two of my testing but it definitely seems to be an extra bit of money to be made for authors if they're willing to sell, you know, a T-shirt with a slogan or, you know, something of that matter. I'm not the expert at it because I'm still learning, but um, I think there's definitely an avenue of, of income there to be made. Is Amazon Merch uh, open? Is it by invitation only? It's invite only at the moment. Um, I'm not sure if you can like, do a Google search and then request an invitation. I forgot what happened now, but I know it's not it's not currently available to just sign up for. You have to have an invite. Um, but it seems really slick from from what I've seen. And obviously, doing it through Amazon, you, you're going to benefit from the fact it's on Amazon, whereas with Printful, um, you've got to sell through your own website or through their website. So I see a lot more... Um, sort of success using the Amazon version, just like they've done with KDP and CreateSpace and Audible. You know, they're making it really easy to DIY your own products and then sell them to Amazon customers. So I'm quite excited about sort of what I might be able to achieve there. Brilliant. I'll check that out. And I just want to ask you, with your eight set of self-publishing, how are you delivering that training course? Is, uh, Word, WordPress with the plugin or something like that? Yeah, it's the Zippy Courses plugin on my own WordPress site. Um, which can be a bit of a pain from sort of um, if, if things are sluggish and I have to find out why and you know it's it's a headache that I added to my life which you know maybe it would have been better to kind of use something like Teachable or I think is it Fedora now it's called but again from a financial standpoint I wanted to have complete control I wanted to be able to do what I want to do and keep all the money for myself and um it took me a, a big learning curve because I, I didn't know anything about building websites um, a couple of years ago, and I've had to learn it all from scratch, how to do uh, a self-hosted WordPress site. But um, now that I've got the fundamentals, I, I think I, I pretty much know what I'm doing. And all the videos are hosted through Vimeo, which is a really good service, which I'm happy with. And it doesn't cost a lot. It's about £160 a year, I think, for pretty much unlimited videos. So... There was some startup costs involved in the course. Um, some of them were sort of one-off and others I'm going to have to keep paying it yearly. Um, but it, it has paid for itself, the course, because when you combine the, the, the course sales along with pro writing aid, which really are an extension of the course, um, because it's being sold for the course, those affiliate sales. So, you know, it's done sort of three, three and a half thousand pounds. So that's, I'd say the startup costs were about two thousand. So hopefully this year it'll be more pure profit. That's good. I tell you, the, the other thing that interested me, we're going to move on to the expenses in a minute, but um, you teamed up with a 50% book share with J.A. Conrath, which is interesting for all sorts of reasons. Now, now number one, um, the, the income from that was 2000 for you was £2,353.80, which is good income from a single book. Now, I, I, I think sometimes, though, the perception is, is that if you're one of these big authors like J.A. Conrath, you know, that you put a book out there and it instantly earns a million dollars, and it, it was instructive for me to see that isn't the case um to be fair the first year maybe two years it earned a lot more than that 
I'd say the first year I probably got 12 grand from that. Um, and it's it's been diminishing returns ever since. And that's pretty much the case with sort of most e-books is your, your back catalogue won't do as, as well as your, your new releases. Um, because I don't have direct control over that book, um, and sort of Joe doesn't seem to have done much with it either. It's not getting book bubs. It's not getting um, promotion, or it's kind of just there um, for fans of of the book um, origins on which it's based. Um, I asked to well, my, my thinking behind asking Joe if I could write a sequel to his book Origins because I completely wrote the book to to begin with with no input from Joe. Um, so he said yes, you know that'd be great. And then when I'd finished it, I gave him the finished book and then he edited it to how he wanted it and added a lot of his own content. So it ended up being a, a kind of a hybrid of us both um, based on one of his books as well. So it was his IP. Um, but I wanted to attach myself to his reader base. Obviously, at the time when I wrote that book, I, I was barely known and he was, you know, a, a big fish. So it really helped me establish my brand sort of being attached to him and that book being out and um, a lot of his fans sort of came over to my side so it was a sort of a business strategy trying to do that um co-write with him now sort of i'd only really co-write a book again if it, it was with somebody who sort of dwarfed myself and could give me more exposure the actual process itself i didn't i don't really enjoy co-writing books i did try to co-write one with matt shaw and it just it was almost impossible we just couldn't sort of seem to get into the flow of things but the one i did with joe was definitely instrumental in sort of growing my readership so your earnings for 2016 63 63 and a uh 63 pounds which is which is fantastic but for you is that is that a good year a bad year or an average um the two previous years i've earned around 50 so it's my best year um and what what is exciting is that bar 2014 every single year i've been a self-publisher my earnings have been higher year on year they're, they've never gone down 2013 and 2014 were pretty much the same uh, i think um they were like 43 and 46 or something like that um but it, you know my business is growing which is a good place to be in especially in this you know the market's getting tougher selling ebooks um so the fact that I'm I'm sort of still growing is is great, and you know my next milestone is to pull in a hundred thousand. Um, but that's that's my best year. So I know there are authors out there like uh, Russell Blake and Hugh Howey have have done millions, and I know J.A. Conrad's had a couple of million dollar years. I'm not I'm not at that level, and again, it's you know what do you deem success? Do you go oh well you're not Stephen King? Well no I'm not. I've, I've earned a good living doing something I love, but the still goes way way more successful than myself and i'm still i'm still considering myself an amateur trying to grow so that's 63 yeah it's, it's great and it's more money than i ever would have earned selling phones but it, it's you know it's not the end of my journey i'm i'm still looking forward to next year's report being better and you know i, I want to do a hundred thousand next and one day hopefully you know maybe do a million like ja comrath has but it's another exciting thing about um being a self-published self-published author you know the sky's the limit there's nothing holding me back whether i do a million or whether i go bankrupt it's down to me and my efforts so it's it's exciting to do what i do it's scary for the same reason it can go backwards and you can earn less money but there's always an option of earning more whereas as a phone salesman you know my option was i could be maybe a branch manager 
maybe an area manager. You know, I had two roles I could potentially go into after decades of hard work and eating crap and, you know, but with self-publishing, you just, you can achieve it all. You know, it's all about how smart you are and how hard you work. I think it's I think it's a brilliant success, and I also think it's very relatable to more people listening because you know what I tend to find um, listening to podcasts is people are just so far ahead of you, you know, out into the stratosphere that it's just way beyond what you could possibly yeah. reach. But I honestly think that you know I spoke to an author a couple of weeks ago. I think he was making two thousand pounds a month, and I said to him, you know, that's all that most people need to give up their yeah. job. You know, and, and, and actually, you know, we don't need to be earning millions, and I think we've got to okay. focus on this. And I, I think it's a brilliant success. yeah that's the the gold rush mentality i think that sort of happened a couple of years ago with self-publishing it became this get rich quick scheme and what it is now and hopefully for a long time to come is it's it's an industry it's a career choice it's i want to be a writer and i want to you know go into that and you might want to be a builder or you you know you might want to do a hundred different things and you don't think i'm going to be a builder i'm going to be a millionaire builder you just think that's what I want to do and I want to earn a decent living doing it. And that's what self-publishing is becoming. It's not, I'm going to get rich being a self-publisher. It's, I want to be a writer and I'm going to go down that route. And, you know, like any other business, it's, it's, a, it's an industry with businesses now. And that's that's how I want it to be because that's when things will start to be fair in that the, the strong, hard workers and the smart workers will do well. And the chances and the scammers and the lazy people, they won't do well. Whereas when it was a gold rush, it was kind of skewed in that, you know, some of the really hardworking authors like me were struggling at times, whereas people who had no talent at all and were just trying to make a quick book, they could sometimes be successful. Um, and I think that's that was because it was still in its infancy and yeah, it, went, it was going through a transition, whereas now I think it's levelling out into a grown-up, mature industry where anyone can make it, anyone can make a living doing this, but it's not going to happen overnight. You're not going to do it easy. You've got to think long-term and you've got to have a strategy just like you would any business in any other industry. And I like that because it's fair. That's business. The other thing that you you touched on earlier, and I think it's worth saying here for people you know who want to build this kind of business as you've done, is that you cannot put a price on the freedom that you have when you work for yourself. No, absolutely. And, you know, my income would have to sort of go down by two thirds before I even considered doing anything else. I'd still happily do this job poor than normally doing something I hated. And it's just, you know, working my own office surrounded by my own, you know, pictures of my family on the wall. I can go make a coffee for any time I want. I don't have to worry about, you know, taking breaks. If I decide I can't be bothered to work next week, I'll take the week off. You know, it's 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 a charmed life and really lucky and you know most people would probably punch me in the face if they knew how easy my life was and i don't necessarily say i deserve it i always think that i'm lucky and i think that's why i try and help other authors because i don't feel like necessarily i deserve it more than anyone else i mean i have worked hard and i do keep working hard but i know so much luck played a part in establishing me earlier when it was easier to get traction that you know, I, I live a charmed life and being able to work for yourself, although stressful, it's, there's nothing else like it. I need to delve into the self-publishing expenses as well, because what your uh, income report shows is you can't make an omelette without cracking some eggs. And as well as no. earning £63,500, you've spent, uh, you know, to accrue that £10,500 as well. And some people would, would shudder at that thought, but presumably you can't make the money without spending the money. 
No, when I, you know, I'd prefer to spend more, and and I probably will. Sort of, if I earn more, then I'll spend more. They're kind of they're tied together. But um, the the main thing that made me see that you spend money and you can make it back is is my mailing list and. I did Mark Dawson's course about Facebook ads and how to get people to sign up to your mailing list from Facebook ads. And I found that sort of $10 a day, you could get 30 people to sign up and you would easily make your money back from, from that sort of um, return on investment, sort of $10 for 30 people. You know, probably five of them are going to go on to buy more books of yours, which will more than cover that $10 cost each day. Um, and you set up things like um, a tripwire sales page so that when they successfully signed up, it says, thanks for signing up, your free book's on the way. By the way, did you know that this book's also just come out? And you find that people do click it and they buy it. So you are actively buying sales. You're spending money to get people to buy your book. You know, and it's you kind of it's a hard mindset to get into if you don't have the evidence. But once you see that it happens and that you can literally buy success, it's it's a lot less scary spending the money because I know that I'm not really spending the money. I'm converting it into more money. Um, but yeah, things like artwork and editing, you've got to spend the money. You you can't skirt around it. You just got to bite the bullet. Um, but then if you're making money from your books, then you should set aside at least 10%, you know, maybe more 20% perhaps to, to just reinvest in your business. And that's what all businesses do. And I think once a self-publishing author realizes they are a business that, you know, they need to put 20% of their sales into marketing or whatever, it, it's, it feels less like you're spending your own money that you could be spending on bills. You're spending your business's money, which s sort of, it's a, a less bit of a pill to swallow, I suppose. I see you're using BookFunnel rather than uh, InstaFreebie. Have you had a play with InstaFreebie yet? No, I've just kind of started having a look. Um, I think I'll probably sign up to both because InstaFreebie seems, from what I'm reading, it's a good place to find sort of new um, readers to sign up. It's its own sort of ecosystem, whereas BookFunnel, I'm finding the traffic and then sending it to BookFunnel, whereas InstaFreebie seems to join the two a bit where they'll find you a bit bit of an audience as well so i'll probably do both but i haven't actually used insta freebie yet um i started using book funnel just because it came out first well i've just put on uh, it since the beginning of february about 700 new subscribers with insta freebie um and it's working really well i was interested you see i did mark dawson's facebook course too so I, i've oh. i've compared the two and um i'm finding insta freebie actually much more effective if you jump on all the insta freebie giveaways uh, that yeah. people are doing it's working really well so I, I just wondered whether you've given it a try because um i've actually found it better than, than facebook advertising in actual fact really mm. um well yeah it's uh it's on my it's in my book i'm looking at it now as one of the things i'm going to do what I, I tend to have to do at the moment because i've got so many things going on is list everything down and again i like to do things one at a time so once i get to the insta freebie bit on my list then that's all i'll do for a couple of days until i've got that down um, but yeah, it's, it's something I'm going to look at. I've seen a lot of people talking about it, and if it, you know, if it's working for people, then great. Another thing I see you're doing that I'm not on top of yet is is drip uh, emailing. Uh, you, you, I think your main channel is Mailchimp, as far as I can see from your expenses. But you look like you've started to use uh, GetDrip as well. How, how does that work? What does it actually do? I started using it for signups for the course um, because it's. It allows you to separate people into different categories so you know where they are. You set up these funnels, but then there's automatic switch points. So you, if somebody goes through your marketing funnel and they haven't purchased, 
you can have them trigger automatically into you into a list called haven't purchased and then you can send them another set of emails designed for them if they buy the course that'll automatically trigger them from the marketing uh, email funnel into the customer email funnel where i can then start sending them customer customer emails and it will also it tracks all of the pages on my websites as well so i can actually see how interested somebody is and it will give everybody a rating so it might say you know, Tom Smith has been on your sales page four times in the last two weeks, but he hasn't purchased. But I know he's interested because I can see that he keeps looking at the sales page. So if I wanted to, I could target that person specifically and say, hi, Tom, I've noticed you've been looking at my sales page a lot, but you haven't purchased. Can I ask you, you know, what's holding you back? Is it the price? So it does things like that. And it's it's much better at tracking customers. And why I haven't used it for my mailing list for my books is that's a lot more straightforward in that people are downloading my books and reading my books so they don't have other places to go. Because I'm selling an actual product with the, the course, I want to know, you know, who's interested, who who isn't. Um, I want to move people between different funnels to target different things. So it's it's a lot more professional and business based. And I suppose it's the type of thing I'd imagine bigger companies use to, you know, see whether people have left things in their shopping cart but I haven't checked out and things like that so if you need that functionality that's what get drip will give you i'm interested in um the amount you spend on bonuses for the a to z of self-publishing and um, you know i'm interested in doing courses as well and i see you spent 770 pounds on bonuses what, what was that spent for um again i think it was an experimental phase that showed me a few things but i um i wanted to make it obviously desirable to join so the the free pro writing aid license for a year works really well because on the free section of the course people can see the the software product um being used if they really want it that's an incentive to join the course because you get a free year but i also had a, a free license for kindle samurai a uh, free year with book funnel um a free copy of scrivener i was looking at but I found that it didn't really work that well, to be honest. It didn't really influence whether people purchased or not. So I'm actually going to simplify it down this year and just do a free copy of Pro Writing Aid um, or just one sort of bonus at a time. But I think because I was so desperate to get people on the course, I was throwing all sorts of things at them, but it, it wasn't really cost effective. I think one strong bonus for signing up is probably going to do it. And then maybe a couple of ancillary bonuses like you know a free ebook. Um, based on, on on whatever it is you're selling on the course, or, you know, little things like that. But one big bonus is is enough. Um, throwing loads of software deals and stuff, I think I probably made it confusing. In terms of self-publishing, you are, because you've been doing it since 2011, a bit of an old-timer of self-publishing already, which is ridiculous to say, but 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 you are in terms of your experience. What would yeah. you then say, if you could distill what you've learned from 2011, we're now in 2017, and, and offer that advice to somebody who was starting from scratch, what, where would you tell them to put their effort? I think um, because things are so crowded now, you need to make sure that when you are lucky enough to find a reader, you don't let them go. You can't rely on them always wanting to read your book next because there's just so much out there. So you need to actively keep yourself in their mind. And you've got to do that by way of a mailing list. So you need to concentrate and get a few books out first, but then you've got to sort of have something that's free to give away because it's so much easier to sell free than it is to 
you know, sell three ninety nine or whatever. But you need to make sure that when you do get a reader, you keep that reader. And this is something that, again, other businesses have known for, for years. When I was in the phone industry, we'd always get their emails. We'd always phone them early for their upgrades. And we make sure that that customer stayed with us and didn't go anywhere else. And you need to have the same mindset to keep a hold of your readers. So you need to not only get them onto your mailing list, but then you need to make it a benefit to be on that mailing list. So you need to have offers that are exclusive for them. And also you know let them see you as a person because the one thing that there isn't any competition about is you as a person there's no other you to compete with so sell yourself as a person and then if a reader starts to enjoy you as a person then you haven't got to worry about losing their business because you know there's only one you so your mailing list for me is your number one key because that protects you from pretty much any storm if amazon shut up shop tomorrow which obviously isn't going to happen i know that i've got fifteen thousand of my readers captured and i can say look guys amazon don't sell books anymore this is my living you've seen me for the last two years with my kids and stuff this is how i i feed them please 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 come over to apple and buy my new book on you know your ipad please and and i know that probably seven thousand of them would and then that's a start you know that's established me and give me a foothold in a new platform if i didn't have a mailing list and amazon went shut up shop tomorrow i'd be a you know fish on land i'd be floundering i'd have, have no power over the future of my career so stop thinking of readers as these you know bits of luck that are going to suddenly pop out of amazon buy your book and you never see them again you've got to make sure that um, a reader is yours it's your commodity that you keep and own and that you interact with yourself for your own means thank you for listening to this week's self-publishing journeys If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.